0: Good evening. It's great to be back with you. It's, it's always a joy. It's always a pleasure to be able to sing songs, hymns, and praises to God and to be able to study God's Word with people of like precious faith. I, I want to thank the men who've led in our worship this evening. It's, it's just so edifying to be able to be led in good prayers and good hymns and, and thoughts as we, as we go into a study of God's Word I think a lot of times we give too much emphasis to just the sermon and not enough to the entire act of worship. Every part is equally important. But as we are preparing ourselves now to sit and listen to a portion of God's word, we get to hear his mind. We get to hear his thoughts, if you will, as we study his word. I encourage you to get your Bibles out. I hope you'll be turning to the passages as we turn to them and study together about the immutability of God. You know, this world that we live in, it's such a wonderful place, but it's terrifying all at the same time, isn't it? There's, it's wonderful and terrifying. It's wonderful that we can observe the beauty of God's creation. Some of those beautiful land I've ever seen is on the way down to David and Stacy's house. It's beautiful. Beautiful. We can see his hand. We can experience the love of family and friends. That's beautiful. It's wonderful. And, and, and we can know that the Lord is supreme. We know that he is sovereign. And, and even though we know that, we often feel, I think I speak for pretty much everybody, we often feel the concern of evils around us in the world. And this can tempt us to feel terror in our hearts. Natural disasters, wars, rumors of wars, violence between members of the human race. These are an ugly side to our reality. It's not hard to imagine One waking in the morning and wondering, I wonder what curveball life is going to throw at me today. Anybody ever wake up feeling that way? The words of the hymn and our hymnals that you all have here, the ones we have back home, to the hymn, Abide With Me. That hymn says, change and decay in all around I see. Those tend to feel kind of timely these days. Maybe more timelier than ever, if I can say it that way. And so it is, often. But then if we think about the next line of that hymn, change and decay it all around I see, O thou who changest not, abide with me. And I want that to be our thought this evening, as we talk about the immutability of God. And let me give you a definition and I'm not going to say who suggested this definition that I stated at his house this afternoon that immutable doesn't mean it can't be silenced. I, I think that's clever. Un, that, that would be unmutable maybe. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Immutable means not capable of or susceptible to change. That's what immutable means. It means God is not capable of changing or being changed. What that means is our Lord is constant, our Lord is changeless, the Most High is established and steadfast. The great I Am is immovable and unmovable. Now that being said, we, I talked to some today in different conversations, certainly there are times when God repents or relents or He changes His course of action, but that doesn't mean He changes This is one of the divine perfections which is not sufficiently pondered, I think, by God's people today. It is one of the excellencies of the creator which distinguishes him from all his creatures, man and beast. He is immutable. The fact that God is perpetually the same, that he is subject to no change in his being his attributes or his determinations is wholly unique to him alone. Therefore, God is compared to a rock. As you could turn over to Deuteronomy 32 if you wanted to. In Deuteronomy 32, <clears throat> we notice in verse, uh, verses 3 and 4, here Moses says, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth, and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Like a great rock, the Lord remains immovable. That's why I chose this, this picture, this great rock in the ocean. Even when the entire ocean of the world and events and matter and things are, are constantly surrounding and, and beating against it, everything is in a fluctuating state, he is established. He is immutable. Though all creatures are subject to change, God is not. And and we ask, how can this be? How can this be? Because God has no beginning and he has no ending. He can know no change. A verse over in James chapter 1 in verse 17. It works. Okay, I didn't know if the little animation would work, but I, I thought that was cute. God is so constant he is so constant that he does not even cast a shadow by his moving, by his turning. James 1.17, every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father who made the heavenly lights, the Father of lights. With him there is neither variation nor darkness caused by turning. Maybe a shadow is how your Bible might translate that. This idea that God doesn't, he doesn't move so his shadow doesn't move, like on a sundial or something such as that. This is our Lord. This is our God. This is the one we are worshiping today. And as I said earlier today, the whole point of these lessons is to... and, And I think you probably have had a sufficient job done here over the years of... How do we worship God according to the authority of scriptures? Why do we worship God as far as checking our hearts? But who do we worship? If we can come to know God better, then our worship will, therefore, increase and improve... And if we can come to know the Lord better in his attributes and and understand who it is that we have committed our life to following when we look at what he has done, i.e. the gospel, the sending of his son, the redemption of mankind, it all fits into the picture so much better. And so I want to pursue the pursue the study even further as we talk about the fact that God is immutable in his very essence, his nature, his being. Are infinite. And I can't explain that. And you can't either. He's infinite. He's without beginning. He's without end. And as such he is not subject to mutation or change. Think about this. There never was a time when he was not. That will make your head hurt. If you think about that very long. There never will come a time when he will cease to be. Remember this morning I held up my hands like the bookends of time. He... He exists outside of that. And that that just baffles us. We live within the confines of time and space and matter. And he doesn't. There never was a time when he was not. And there never will be a time when he will cease to be. God has neither evolved, grown, or improved. All that he is today, he has ever been and ever will be. Now, I challenge you to spend a little time in meditation on that one. That, that's, as people say, that's deep stuff. This is God. This is, this is our God. In fact, listen to his own unique, unqualified affirmation in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. He says, for I am the Lord. I do not change. Malachi 3.6. That's God speaking. I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. God himself, the one who cannot lie, who cannot change, he says, I don't change. He cannot change for the better because he is already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worst. Altogether, unaffected by anything outside himself, improvement or deterioration is impossible for him. Isn't that interesting to think about? And again, I, I know this is kind of more uh, philosophical kind of religious discussion, but this is basic stuff to understanding who we are worshiping when we assemble together. He is perpetually the same, and only he can say his name. I actually talked about this when I was here before in one of my lessons. His, when he was asked by Moses, what is, who should I tell the people You are. What's your name? I think Moses coming out of polytheistic Egypt, they had all these gods, and he's told at the burning bush to go back and say, let my people go, and the people say, well, who's God? Who is this God? And he says, Moses asked God, what should I say your name is? And the answer in Exodus 3 and verse 14 is a sentence, a hyuh, a sher, a hyuh. In Hebrew, that translates to God saying, I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. It is a name only pronounceable by him, because only he can say that. And so what he gives Moses is a, what might call a, a shortened or nickname, and he says, Yahweh, which means he will be what he will be in Hebrew. So God says, go tell the people he will be what he will be is my name, Yahweh. Only he is the great I am, altogether uninfluenced by the flight of time. One author, A.W. Pink, wrote this, There is no wrinkle upon the brow of eternity. Therefore, his power can never diminish, nor his glory ever fade. The very essence of what he is cannot change. Now, maybe you're sitting there saying, Okay, I got that. Fine. Good. What's your point, Jim? That's the point, that, that he is immutable. When you are stopping and you're, you're asking yourself, you know, Why do I go to church? Why do I do what I do? Why do I believe what I believe? Our faith is in an unchangeable God. And there is no other like him. He's immutable in his essence and he is immutable in his attributes. And we're talking a lot about his attributes. Tomorrow night we're going to discuss the holiness of God. Such an important concept when we say God is holy. And we're going to examine that quite quite a bit of detail. We'll talk about things like faithfulness of God and others in in the following lessons. But when we talk about the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, if you want to call it that, Whatever the attributes of God were before the universe was called into being, before he spoke the cosmos into existence, whatever his attributes were then, they are precisely the same now and will remain so forever. They just don't change. This is necessarily so, for they are the very perfections, the essential qualities of his being. Would you really want to serve a God who, on any random Tuesday, just changes? That's no God to serve. Maybe you've heard of Semper Fi, Semper Fidelis, that's the, sorry, sorry, it's not Navy, it's, it's the, the Marine slogan, right? Always faithful, right? Semper Edem. Always the same would be God's motto. Always the same. I'm sure you could have others, but every attribute of God is always the same, does not change. Understand that Yahweh's power is unabated, his wisdom is undiminished, and his holiness is unsullied. And again, maybe maybe this one's not landing with you right now, but I I would like to encourage you that when you stop and consider who God is, when we worship God, Him. You understand worship comes from the idea of worship. When we come to sing hymns and observe the Lord's Supper and study his word and pray and commune together, we are expressing our worth of him. That's what worship is. We're not just doing something to check it off a list, we are coming together as his people, as his community of faith, and we are praising him for our value of him. We are a praise value, our worth of what he's worth to us. And if you don't understand who he is, how can you properly worship him? And when we think about his attributes, they can no more change than he can cease to be. His truthfulness is firmly established. Look over uh, Psalm 119. Psalm Psalm 119 and verse 89. Turn here with me. Psalm 119, verse 89. Longest chapter in the Bible, but one little verse. And and Psalm 119 is such a fantastic psalm, such a good study. Verse 89 says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. That's an absolute truth. His truthfulness is firmly established. It doesn't shake. It doesn't change. His love, we could read about in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. What kind of love, this attribute of love is everlasting. It's eternal. It doesn't change. You could go over and read it and I will, you can turn to John 13. I put it on, on the screen, John 13 verse 1. Where Jesus said, it says there of Jesus, he loved them to the end. Does that only mean to the end of his life because he's alive now? Jesus' is love, God's love is everlasting. Psalm 100, if you want to turn there to Psalm 100 verse, verse 5. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. And, and, And there's a whole list of these. We could look at these for the entire period this evening, but we won't. What I want you to see, his attributes, his truthfulness, his love, his mercy, they are everlasting. They don't change. That's important to us as believers, because here we live in a world that changes all around us all the time. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Who God is can and will never change. And so, not only is his essence immutable, his attributes are immutable, but so is his counsel, right? Time this back to our lesson this morning in the adult class if if you were here for that and you got to be part of that study. God is supreme and his decree shall ever stand. That's important because when we sit here and hold this book, it's the written form of his decree, right? And we can have confidence knowing that as we study this and we, we look into the pages of it. That means that his will never varies. It means that his plan shall always succeed. Yes, within that plan there may be moments where he changes directions or he, he makes alterations and adjustments. But the overall plan, the scheme of redemption, as Danny prayed for a few minutes ago, doesn't change. His counsel, his decree shall always succeed. That means all that he has done and will do is as certain and as established as he is. Turn to Numbers chapter 23. Numbers 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? I mean, just meditate on those words. All that he has done and will do is as certain and established as he is. This morning we looked at Job 23. Let's look again to Job and, and, and Job having this conversation with the Lord. Job 23 and verse 13 and 14. But he is unique, and who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. God doesn't change. Nobody, nothing can make him change. He is immutable. Yahweh's purpose never fails. Yahweh's purpose never alters. Two things cause man to change his mind and reverse his plans. You ever think about this? What causes you or I to change our mind or reverse our plans? It's either the want of foresight to anticipate everything, right, to try to look ahead and Engage everything that's going to happen, right? That foresight that we just don't have, or it's, and or it's the lack of power to execute. That causes us to alter and change our plan. Right? We think we've got all the steps figured out. We got it all figured out, right? And then all of a sudden, curveball, something happens, and we have to alter. Do you really think God ever gets hit with a curveball? Since Yahweh is both omniscient and omnipotent, there is never any need for him to revise his decree. Let's look at a couple verses on this one. Back to Psalm 33. Psalm 33 and verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. It's, that's just as plain as it gets. The counsel, the will, the decree, the purpose of God, it stands, it's established forever. If you went over to the New Testament and saw in Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17. The author of Hebrews says it this way. Thus, God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. That's the New King James translation, by the way. The immutability, there's our fancy word, the immutability of his counsel. His counsel does not change. The rest of that verse says, uh, confirmed it by an oath, but God determined to show that The promise of his immutable counsel. My friends, what I want you to see is the God we worship, that we are worshiping, is immutable in his essence. He is immutable in his attributes and he is immutable in his counsel. That means something. At least it should. What that means is we're not just playing church. What that means is we have a real, established, firm hope in a real, established, unchangeable God. And so herein we may perceive the vast distance that separates the creature from the creator, from human, from God. Creaturehood, right, I'll I'll use that term in that sense, creaturehood. We are all creatures. I, I, I always laugh in my head, creature, we're not creatures, as Ernest T. Bass would get offended, but we are all creatures. We are all created beings. As such, creaturehood, created beings, and mutability. They are co-relative terms. What I mean by that, if, if humanity was not mutable by nature, it would not be a creature. It would be God. And by nature, we tend to nothing as we came from nothing. Nothing prevents our demise but the will and the sustaining power of God. That's just, that's just how we are. No man or woman can sustain him or herself a single moment We are entirely dependent on the creator for every breath we draw. Now, whether you believe that or not, it doesn't change the fact that that is true. That is fact. Psalm 66 in verse 8 says, Bless our God, you peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He preserves our lives and keeps our feet from stumbling. Yeah, I realize most of the world doesn't believe that. They don't acknowledge that. I don't care. It doesn't change the fact that that's true. The realization of this ought to make us lie down under a sense of our own nothingness in his presence, in the presence of, of the unchanging I am, in whom we live and move and exist. Acts 17, 28. As fallen creatures, we are not only mutable, we change, but everything in us is opposed to God in a sense, right? Look, look at some scriptures. Apart from God, humanity is like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. Isaiah 57. Let's read this. The wicked are like the restless sea, unable to be still. Its waters toss up mud and dirt. There is no shalom. I kept the Hebrew word because I love the word shalom better than peace. It's more than just peace. There is no shalom. There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Apart from Yahweh, apart from God, this is the condition of humanity, isn't it? Apart from God... Well, let me ask this Is it pious and wise to heed the warning of Isaiah in chapter 2 and verse 22 when he says, Stop relying on man whose nostrils is a mere breath? After all, he doesn't count for much, does he? If we're putting our hope and trust in man who is changeable, who is fickle, whose heart is full of deceit, then we're fools. God is immutable, and he is unchangeable, he is consistent. In truth, no human being is to be fully dependent upon. I know that sounds harsh, but Psalm 146, verse 3. Don't put your trust in princes or in mortals who cannot help. When they breathe their last, they return to dust. On that very day, all their plans are gone. Happy is he whose help is Jacob's God, whose hope is in the Lord, Adonai his God. Here's a hard truth for you. I say hard truth, but maybe maybe it's not so hard. Maybe for some it would be. If you disobey God, if you do not conform yourself to his will, to his counsel, then you deserve to be deceived and disappointed by your fellow man. Or whatever you put your hope and trust in. Because what you're putting your hope and trust in is not God, and he's the only immutable one. So if you put your trust in your spouse, or your friends, or yourself... You deserve to be deceived. You deserve to be disappointed. Consider the instability of people who like you today and then hate you tomorrow. Anybody ever have a situation like that? People cast a shadow because they twist and they turn. That's what humanity does. But not God. He changes not. This, brothers and sisters, this is our great deity. This is who we worship this is who we come together every first day of the week and we praise and we honor and we revere. The Most High God, Creator and Sustainer, the Supreme Sovereign, the only immutable one. Well, to conclude this study, and this is a fairly short one, <clears throat> even though the clock says I'm going well, the clock goes fast up there, doesn't it? Okay. Let's talk about the effects of God's immutability. This is who He is. We we accept that, and and we're glad, we're hopeful for that. But let's talk about the effects. I'm going to tell you, the effect of understanding the immutability of God is uh, solid, secure comfort, real, true comfort. Human nature cannot be relied upon, but God can. However, uh, However unstable I may be, however fickle my friends may prove to be, or however frightening the world may become, Yahweh, God changes not. If He varied as we do, now think about the first thing. if God changed like we do, or as your spouse does, or as your neighbor does whatever, if He willed one thing today and another tomorrow, if He were controlled by whims, would you still confide in Him? But all praise to His glorious name. He is ever the same. This is our solid comfort, that His purpose is fixed. His will is stable, and his word is sure. This is comfort. Anybody ever felt uncomfortable with the changing world around you or something? Anybody? No hands. Okay, okay, I see one. Thank you. Somebody, I, I thought maybe I was the only one. The only anchor, the only rock. I love my wife, and I tell her sometimes she's my rock in hard times, but she's not my rock. Only Yahweh is my rock. And she knows that. She knows she can never be better than second place in my life. Right? Okay. We have an understanding. It's the same the other way, by the way. Just so you know, I'm second place for her. God is our rock. This is our solid comfort that his purpose is fixed. His will is stable. His word is sure. Here then is a rock on which we may fix our feet when the mighty torrent is sweeping away everything around us. If you've ever felt that and you don't know what to do and you're feeling totally confused and lost, then you got your feet in the wrong place we as his people can have great peace knowing that the permanence of God's essence, the permanence of God's character guarantees the fulfillment of his promises. Isaiah 54, if you turned over to Isaiah 54, I I just love the book of Isaiah. It's such an incredible book. Isaiah 54 and verse 10 says, For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you. God saying, listen, everything's gone, but one thing remains. His love, his kindness. Nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Now listen, I don't know about you. Maybe you're different than me. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you something. That is comforting. And the world can't offer you anything like that. Great comfort. But we also can have great encouragement specifically in prayer. We pray to God. We talk about the importance of prayer and the need of prayer, and what prayer is. And I guarantee all of y'all can answer all the right questions on the importance of prayer and how to pray. I guarantee it. But stop and think about who we pray to in this context. And you start to understand how important the immutability of God is when, as it relates to prayer, um, an old, um, old guy's name's, Stephen Charnock, I think. I wrote just down his first initial, Stephen, I think. Charnock. He lived in 1670, long way back. He wrote this. What comfort would it be to pray to a God that, like the chameleon, changed color every moment? Who would put up a petition to any earthly prince that was so mutable as to grant a petition one day and deny it another? Now, those were his musings as he wrote back, well, back in 1670. And he's right on. Should someone ask, But well, what's the use of praying to this one God, right? This one who's, whose will is already fixed. He's already made up his mind. He's already determined. Well, the answer is because he requires it. God requires our prayer. He, 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 that's what he requires. And that's not why we pray, but we can understand that the blessings of prayer and who we're praying to... That consistency, that stability. He's always there on the other line, we could say. What blessings has God promised without our seeking them? Think about that. What blessings has God promised without your seeking? Look at 1 John chapter 5. There, towards the end of your New Testament, 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 14. <clears throat> John writes this, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Have you really meditated on that idea and then prayed? God has willed everything that is for his child's good. We read these passages earlier today, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Such, such amazing comfort in Romans eight twenty-eight. When we read, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these also he called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. To ask for anything contrary to his will is not prayer, that's rank rebellion. But to know, to know that we can boldly approach the throne from which God gives grace through prayer, that's such a wonderful piece. To know that he hears. With Jesus as our high priest, always making intercession on our behalf. That's Hebrews chapter 7, by the way, verse 25. Knowing that we can experience something rock solid in the midst of an ever-changing world. When the world and everything is going crazy around you, prayer centers. And that's because who's on the other side of the prayer, who we're praying to. But I'm going to give you one more. These are just a couple, and I I know the list could be much longer, but because of time, I'm just going to give you these three, two positive and one negative. Here's, Here's one that I want to include, is that the wicked can be assured of terror. Because God is immutable, because God doesn't change either in his essence his attributes or his counsel the wicked can be assured of terror what I mean is those who defy him those who break his laws those who have no concern for his glory but live their lives as though he existed not they must suppose that when at the last they shall cry to him for mercy he will alter his will will they think that he'll just say okay listen you never ever You never gave me the time of day. But listen, you're asking now here at the very end, let me me just change and rescind all those things that I warned you about in my word. Can we assume that? I want to understand, tell you something. As Ezekiel makes it very plain in Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 17. We'll finish with this one passage to look up. Ezekiel 8 and verse 17. And he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence. Then they have returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will also act in my fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. There's plenty of passages we could turn to, and we can see that in the life that is to come, God will not hear the cries of those who reject him in this life. At least that's what we can see from scripture. Some of them might say, well, I'm going to roll the dice and take my chance that maybe he will. Well, that's free will. You can do that if you want. I'm not so foolish as to take that chance. God is holy, unchangingly so. Therefore, God hates sin. He hates it eternally. Hence the eternality of the punishment of all who die in their sins. Brothers and sisters, these are the effects, these are some of the effects of the immutability of God. And like I said, I guarantee you all could give me more, and I, please do. I'd love to hear your thoughts on other effects, maybe personally, that you've experienced uh, of, of loving and serving an unchangeable God. But I just want to bring this to the importance of responding to the invitation, Lord. I don't know the spiritual status of almost of everybody in this room. I, I know some, obviously. But when, you're, when you all are hosting a gospel meeting, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life, died a horrific death, and was raised and has ascended to the throne. That gospel message, that good news. When we come to the end of a sermon, we, we want to encourage and extend the invitation of the Lord. The invitation of the Lord is to put your faith in him and obey him. That's what he is inviting all humanity to do. He's inviting all men and all women everywhere to choose him in faith and obey him by submitting to his will. That's the invitation. The invitation is to die to sin and to live righteously. That's the invitation of the Lord. It's extended here. It's not Lakeside's invitation. It's not Jim's invitation. This is the Lord's invitation. I'm extending on his behalf. The invitation is to be buried in the waters of baptism, as you see on this little graphic up here. When you think about the gospel, the gospel is, is, is a series of historical facts. Jesus Christ lived, died, resurrected, and ascended. Right? He lived, died, and was resurrected. Those are historical facts. How do you obey the gospel? How do you obey historical facts? I would suggest it's you reenact it. Right? You die to sin, you're buried in the water of grave of baptism, you're raised to walk in newness of life just as he died, was buried and raised. That's the, that's the invitation of the Lord. That's the invitation of the immutable one. To be buried in baptism, raised to by the power of God to walk in newness of life, holy and righteous in his sight, thereby, thereby being saved from the day of wrath that is to come. It's coming upon this world and it's coming on those who reject him. Those who reject the immutable one, will face the day of wrath. The divine immutability, let me give you one more thought before we finish. The divine immutability, like the cloud which interposed, came between the Israelites and the Egyptian army. Think back to your Old Testament stories. Just like that, it had a a dark side as well as a light side, you could say. Right? It The the immutability of God ensures the execution of his threatenings. Then Egypt learned that lesson. As well as ensuring the performance of his promise. Israel learned that lesson, right? The immutability of God destroys the hope which the guilty fondly cherish. They're hanging on to that hope that he will just overlook their mistakes. How many people in the world think that? And they'll just get a pass into heaven just because they didn't do something really bad in this life. I didn't kill anybody. Hear people say that. Well, my my friends, this is this is the vain hope of many that they will be much more lightly dealt with than the the declaration of God's own word. I've shown you what God's word is, the decree of God. You've seen it today. You've heard it before. If that is what you're hoping for, then I must try to wake you up. I must try to help you understand the reality as recorded in Scripture. The mind of the immutable one who has spoken to us through his word. I can find nothing in the Bible that can offer any real hope for the unrepentant sinner. Now, I'm not whittling on God's end of the stick. Brothers and sisters, I can just tell you what the Bible says. You can read it for yourself and understand it. all truth points to the need for every human to be immersed for the remission of sins and born again in order to be found righteous in the sight of God. Thus saith the only immutable one, Yahweh, God most high, the supreme deity. So the decision is yours, and I'm going to leave it there tonight. The hymn we're going to sing, Is Thy Heart Right With God? Is that correct? Is Thy Heart Right With God? It asks a very simple question. It's not asking you how you feel. It's asking, have you made yourself right with God by coming into that sanctified relationship with Him? And that's only done this way, as you see on the screen behind me. And again, I don't know who needs to respond to this. Maybe not a single soul in this room. I, I don't know that. I'm going to venture a guess that somebody here needs to. I'm going to venture a guess that there's a real good chance that somebody's heard this invitation before and they're willing to gamble on not doing anything about it again and walking out of here and just taking their chances. It's a fool's guess at best. I would encourage you not to leave in that condition. Water's right behind me. It's prepared. You could be immersed this very evening. In the likeness of his death, burial, and resurrection, you too could be die to sin, be buried for, for the remission of sins, and be raised to walk in the newness of life, making your heart right with God, with the immutable, supreme, sovereign God. If you need to respond to the invitation, you have an opportunity right now. Come to the front, let us know how we can help you. As Together we stand to sing.